you're watching this show, then you probably know that content marketing is important. But why aren't more companies taking advantage of this tactic? And more importantly, when they do take advantage of this tactic, why are they giving up so quickly right after they start the new program? Welcome into another episode of Cyberly. I'm your host, Blythe Gremlin. And on the show, we cover the attention economy, B2B marketing, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. And in today's episode, we are talking about how to build that in-house media program, starting your own media content marketing team in-house. Then we're bringing on Ramil Watley of Truck and Hustle. And we're going to, he's, it's actually his second time on the show. And we're going to continue the discussion about how he is still building and evolving his media empire over at Truck and Hustle. And then finally, we are going to cap off the show with another interview from Manifest. And it's going to be featuring the Wingcopter co-founder. And they just inked a new deal to start doing medical drone deliveries right here in the US. So that's a fun interview. That'll be later on in the show. But going back to our first topic of what I mentioned, building your own in-house media program. And sort of the title speaks to the importance of building your own media company internal. And when you say building your own media company, it sounds a little intimidating. But more and more companies we are seeing do this where they're emphasizing, especially in the freight tech space, where they're emphasizing bringing in marketing personnel and prioritizing videos, podcasts, and controlling their own messaging, and then focusing that messaging on their customers and the problems that it's solving. It's essential to most businesses and industries, but very few within freight are taking advantage of this sort of goldmine of opportunity. And then it's also one of those things that when you start implementing this program, then you quit, you don't see immediate results. And then a lot of other companies will just quit after a few months after not seeing those immediate results. So that to me is a competitive advantage if you continue to focus on your internal media program because you know if companies aren't doing it right now and the companies that do start it are quitting so soon afterwards because they're not seeing immediate results as if those exist in content marketing, then that can be your competitive advantage just knowing that you just got to stick with it for longer than a few months. So that's what we're going to be talking about today is five tips to be building that in-house media program. So let's start with tip number one. And this is so very important because you need to know the why behind of why you're starting an in-house media program. You want to develop, and the reason you want to is because you want to develop that internal personal relationship with your customers. Because if you have those internal personal relationships and you talk about it on camera with them, then that can give you insights not only into how your company is currently performing, how your company is is currently exceeding expectations or maybe falling behind on those expectations. And so that you can get deep firsthand knowledge right from your customers. And then it'll help you plan for the future in addition to helping your marketing and getting your brand messaging out. It sounds simple, but prioritizing these interviews and these chats with your customers will have you well ahead of the game and then using some bonus marketing material while you're at it. So if you're going to start this, know firsthand that you need to give it at least six months. Promise yourself and your staff that you're going to commit to it for at least six months. And then you can look at where you're at as far as performance wise, as far as leads wise, as far as how just the general reception of this new content is performing in the greater landscape of, of your of your business and of not only just your product and service planning, but within your marketing messaging itself. 
Now the next one, number two, you're going to want to secret shop your own company. I can't tell you how many times that people start a new content marketing initiative. Maybe they start a new podcast series, or maybe they start a new lead campaign. It just any marketing campaign in general, they start it. And then they realize later on after the fact that some of their forms on their website weren't working. So when I say secret shop your own company, you need to go to your digital platform. So your social media platforms and your website, test the process yourself, fill out a form, reach out to the sales team, see how that process works. Is anyone reaching out? Is anyone following up? How long does it take for them to follow up? So you want to secret shop your own company so you can find those little missteps before you start investing in any kind of marketing and any kind of advertising because you're going to waste a lot of money if you don't test this process yourself. So test it out yourself, fix what's broken, and then you'll know whenever you, you'll know with confidence as you head into a, any new campaign that at least the functionality for the lead to convert on your digital platforms is performing as well. And even if you have a social media account and you don't really post to it, that's not how your users see it. When your users and your visitors and your leads, whenever they see that you have a social media account and you have even just a few posts that are up there, they expect to get a response on social media via DM. So if you have a profile that's out there that you're actively publishing to, or maybe semi-actively publishing to, then you need to make sure that you have an internal rep that's assigned to at least check those DMs, check those messages once every day, because it doesn't look good to do all of that hard work and then have that person try to convert or try to reach out and ask a question, and then nobody is there to follow up with them. So you want to make sure that you test your own processes first by secret shopping your own company. And then that way, you can fix any kind of minor issues that may pop up during that entire process. Then once you've tested out all of the forms, you know your why of why you're getting started or why you're starting this program to begin with. The third thing I want to as far as a tip is concerned, is to forget the vanity metrics. Forget the things that you know about marketing analytics and attribution. Your fancy HubSpot reports and Google Analytic reports are fine, but most of that technology, especially when it comes to marketing attribution, that software was built 10 years ago. And that software is built for an internet and a buying habits that were 10 years ago. I don't have to tell anybody that the, the way that people buy over the last couple of years has changed dramatically. We have access to so much information and so, so many different variables that your marketing attribution software is not going to be able to track all of those different touch points. I'll give you an example. Most people do not know your website URL. So if they see your post on social media, if they see an advertisement on social media, the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to Google your company name. And so that's why those those marketing attribution reports, especially when it comes to organic search, can feel inflated. The average website gets about 70% of their views from organic search. And that's not, it's not necessarily Google giving you access to all of that traffic. It's all of the hard work that you're doing in all of these different places that can contribute to that inflated metric. So that's just one little example of how you can't really rely or you have to use some nuance and some due diligence of knowing that, hey, this 
if I'm publishing out to social media and if I'm doing organic search campaigns or, or, or advertising campaigns, then my organic search is naturally going to increase because people would rather Google the company name than try to remember a website address right off the top of their head. So keep that in mind as far as the vanity metrics are concerned. And then I want to, I want to challenge a lot of marketers out there to start thinking from a new mindset. And that's marketing to the 99% of people who just scroll social media and they don't engage or like or share at all. In fact, there was this new study that I just came across um, earlier this week that talks about how your content should speak to the 99% of people who are on social media, but they do not actively engage. Andrew Bruce Smith has a great piece on why paying attention to the engagement and conversations on social media is largely a waste of time and energy. Because according to the Nielsen Norman Group, 90% of social media users are lurkers who never contribute. That means they never like it, they never share it, they never comment, they just digest the information. So if you knowing this as a marketer, then I, I, that's a situation where you have to know that when you're sending information out onto these different platforms, the goal is to get somebody to digest the information not necessarily make a conversion. That's why a lot of ebook trend or a lot of ebook strategies that a lot of companies are still employing or it, it, are still initiating today or today and today's modern media market that they're still in, it, getting out into the world and creating these vast ebooks and then putting them out for download and then thinking that anybody who downloads that ebook is going to magically come to their website and make another conversion and become a customer. It just doesn't work that way. Less than one, less than I think half a percentage point of customers who ever download or leads that download an ebook become a customer. Less than half a percentage point. So there's a lot of still marketing strategies out there that are sort of targeting towards this old school mentality. But keep that in mind, 90% of social users are lurkers who never contribute. Now, the reason I bring these things up is because knowing that can actually be incredibly freeing when it comes to your content and, and the, the, the content that you want to create. Because then you're not tied to these vanity metrics where a lot of folks will, and, and that's going back to my earlier point where I said a lot of companies will quit after a few months because they're not seeing the engagement on it, but they're not realizing that 90% of social media users are lurkers and they're not going to actively engage with it. So as a marketer, that can be incredibly freeing to A, not only explain to the executive team of the kind of performance that you should expect, but it's also incredibly freeing to know that you are posting information that your target audience cares about and that they will eventually become well or they would eventually become well aware or, or obvious hopefully they become they become well aware of your company and your solution if you're doing things right because then when they are ready to buy then you will win as a company before that user ever gets to google ever goes to google to try to solve that problem of what they're trying to of what they're they're experiencing in their day-to-day -day life so hopefully with your marketing you are speaking to those problems and you are speaking to those customers even if they're never interacting with your brand so Keep that in mind. It can be incredibly freeing to know that you're not tied to an arbitrary vanity metric. You know, did I get 
a hundred likes on this post. Well, who cares if those hundred people aren't going to ever do business with you? I would be much, I would be much rather focused on getting those users who to digest the message. And then when they're ready to buy, then they come to me because they already know about my brand. They've developed an affinity for it. And they developed a certain level of trust that my company already knows the problems that I'm solving for them. So just keep that in mind. Now, number four, don't overcomplicate this. Now, I've kind of spit out a lot of information so far about building your in-house media company, and it can seem really overwhelming. It doesn't have to be, though, because you don't want to overcomplicate this. You could do these interviews and you could have these discussions via Zoom. Buy a $20 microphone off of Amazon. For the first five or six years of my content creation career, I used a cell phone. This fancy stuff that you see now is 10 years in the making with the lighting and the microphone and the purple light behind me and a nice camera. This is 10 years in the making. I didn't start out this way. I built up to it. So just keep that in mind as you start your content creation journey is that cell phones have a very powerful camera. You can get great sound from a $20 lapel microphone off of Amazon, and it will work wonders. You can conduct these interviews over Zoom, and you can hire then that next step. You can then map out your process of as you're doing your interviews and who's going to handle the editing and the social media clips and, and all of that, because that will actually lead me to my next tip. Because Content-wise, you need to be asking yourself, well, who is actually going to be handling these interviews? Who's going to be conducting them? And then who's going to, not only who are you having these conversations with, but who's going to be leading up these discussions? So first off, who are you going to be having these conversations with? I will give you a sample plan. Plan to interview 10 people. You could do five employees and five customers. And then you can take that sample plan because you're going to be interviewing department heads from your company. And then you have the insight from your leadership team. And then you have the customer insights, which gives you sort of that roadmap, not only for your current marketing and your messaging and you know email campaigns, because you're using the verbiage directly from your customers and how they're talking to you. So if they're talking to you and they're using certain verbiage, can pretty much guarantee that other customers or potential prospects are using that same verbiage as well. So just keep that in mind as far as who you're going to be targeting and having these conversations with. Focus on your top customers and mid-management. Ask them questions about their experience working for you, working with you. I would also get into what they wish you would offer in the future or what they wish you would help them out with in the future because that gives them a little bit of a caveat where naturally you don't necessarily want to be mean to somebody and tell them where they're messing up, especially if you're on an interview. But you can ask it in a way that, hey, if I gave you a magic brush, what would you fix it? What would you wish that our company would offer you in the future? And that's a nice way of asking, where are we messing up and how can we help you in the future? So just keep that in mind as far as like who you're having these conversations with. Now, as far as who is leading up these conversations, if you're listening to this and you're still paying attention to this segment, then it's probably going to be you that's going to be leading up these conversations. If not, I would highly suggest to have somebody within the leadership team, maybe even the executive team, lead up these conversations. If you're just dead set on not doing any of this hosting yourself, a little bonus tip is to reach out in your local market find out who the local reporters are, who the local radio personalities are, find them 
find a good one that you kind of mesh with that you think would do a really good job. And then you can hire them for the day in order to take care of all of your interviews. It's no secret that that local news and local media is on a little bit of uh, a shaky ground uh, and the, the future doesn't necessarily look the brightest. Local news is important. I'm not going to say that it's not. But a lot of these reporters, the business model has changed. And so you're seeing a lot of cuts. You're seeing a lot of reporters doing a lot of different jobs. They, you know, they're called multimedia journalists now because they have to handle the research, the writing, the recording, the editing, and publishing these stories. That's the world that I came from. I saw where the industry was headed. And so I chose to pivot to where my skills are frankly needed. So you could use that same strategy by finding the local talent within your area and then hire them for the day, pay them a freelance rate. And then you have somebody that likely has access to professional equipment and professional editors. And they know the questions to ask. They know the follow-up questions to ask. And then you can, you can use their expertise where you find yourself as, as like kind of the weakest. But I still would highly suggest that anybody within the company take the reins on this as well. You can still hire talent in order to take care of that for you. But I think it's also important that you want to make sure that you map out what your process is going to be from the research and writing the questions, scheduling the interviews, recording and editing, and the distribution to not only just email, but social media as well. So you, if you keep all of those factors in mind, that it helps you from a leadership perspective, be able to say, okay, well, I want to do X, Y, and Z. I want to handle the, the questions that are going to be asked. You might not be the one asking the questions, but you can certainly write them out as far as what you want, uh, maybe a local media reporter in order to, to ask them or to ask them to ask your customers and mid-management team. So you could pick out which processes you like, and then you can outsource the rest. That's what a lot of successful companies, especially when you're building your own in-house media program, because a lot of companies, especially SMBs, small to medium business owners, they're wearing a lot of hats already. And so if you're getting this program started, you're likely going to be the only person working on this. So pick what you like to do and outsource the rest. Okay, so that is... Oh, one last tip for, for content marketing purposes. You need to make distribution a key part of this process. So whether you are handling the interview process or maybe you hire a journalist to do the same, then what you could prioritize or what you should prioritize is getting someone to edit the videos, not just for the full interview, but you want them to edit the full interview and then edit out social media clips. So anywhere from one to five minutes in length, you can have them for each and every interview. And then that is between your full length interviews and then the customer research that you've done and the social media clips, you have content for all of your different platforms for months, maybe even years, if the conversation is evergreen enough. So doing it right from the, from the jump is probably something that's a little ambitious, but you can follow these different guidelines in order to make sure that you have something that is ready enough to ship. Because you don't want to wait until this stuff is or your content is perfect because it's never going to be perfect. So as long as you are prioritizing a, a minimum viable product, what's the lowest amount that you can or what's the lowest quality or the, the, the minimum amount that you would call satisfy or satisfactory whenever you're going through this media program that you could actually publish live. Because what's going to happen is that when you 
say to yourself, I want to start doing all of this, you're probably going to have a brain dump, you're going to put all of this information out into a document, and then it might become overwhelming. And so for you to then after that next step of having a brain dump, you need to be able to look at it and say, what's the minimum that I could ship and actually call done? And then once you hit publish on that stuff, then it'll help you get better because then you're going to have to do it again and again. And that's the only way to get better when we talk about creating content. Now, you could take the little shortcut of what I said earlier about hiring the media reporter, and maybe you prioritize that once a year. But that also is under the assumption that no one within your organization or your leader team is willing to put their face on camera. And I just feel like in, in today's media landscape, in today's media world, it's such a powerful tool to be able to have somebody that can speak for your company and be the face of your company without the fear that they're going to go uh, elsewhere. Or you know, a, maybe you hire a freelancer, you don't want necessarily that freelancer to be the face of your company, um, but they could definitely be there to help you launch a content media program in-house. And then that way it's valuable content that you're sharing and it maps out your future as far as marketing and products and services that you're offering within your company. So going back after recapping all of this, know the why behind the type of project behind this type of project. You're doing this to get those deep insights from your customers because it is going to help your roadmap for the future. Commit to six months of doing this and then see where the project is at and what kind of uh, you know response you got from your audience for it. Did it result in any leads? Hopefully it did, but that's still very early in order to judge the success or the failure of it. And then also don't chase perfection because if you wait until it's perfect, you waited too long. Now, as we wrap up this segment and move into our next one with our first interview of the day, there really isn't a more perfect person to bring on when we talk about building a, a content media program because we're welcoming in Ramil Watley. He is the creator and host of Truck and Hustle, one of the top podcasts for trucking in the world. And now let's go ahead and bring on Ramil. Welcome in. Hey. Second time back on the hey. show. Hey, Blythe, how are you? I'm doing well. I, I I see you're doing well because you're you're blowing up on social media per the usual, <laughs> just continuing to, to to build and build. And and I want to kind of I, I'm not sure how much you heard from the first part of the show about building an in-house media program, but if you were advising a company on how to build like that in-house media program, what would be your first hire? Yeah, so I actually was really enjoying that segment. Um, I was just, you know, kind of listening to you and, and listening to that uh, those tips, and they were they were excellent, really great tips. So the question the question was, what would be my first hire? Is that the question? Yes. Life, life? Yeah. What hmm. What would be your first hire? So say you're working in, inside of a trucking company. They know they need to get started with some kind of marketing. Would you hire yeah. a blogger first, a writer? Um, I, I guess it's kind of the same synonymous now, but like maybe you know, media, podcast. It, it, it's it's tough. I, I would say for a company who's looking to expand into media, they would probably need to hire someone who kind of has some kind of flexibility to, to do like multi multifaceted work, like to where they could handle a few different things because you're going to need somebody who has, uh, you know, who, who can handle you know, like, you know, getting guests together, like, you know, finding good guests if they want to, if they want to interview people. And then somebody on the other side who can kind of, you know, put together a, a, what's going to be the theme of the, of, of they're doing a podcast or, or, or blog, what they're doing. And then you need somebody also kind of like, you know, 
think of like ways to create content. So I would try to handle like a, a somebody who kind of handle a, a bunch of different things. It, it wouldn't just be like, you know, one position. I think you need like somebody who's kind of flexible and has a few different skill sets. Yeah, I, I agree because that's definitely the shift that's happened, especially with like local news is that especially a lot of the, the sports reporters that that I've they've been colleagues of mine in the past is that you are expected, especially from like the local sports per local sports position that you have to know everything. You are out at the practice fields. You're the one interviewing. You're the one choosing who to interview. You're the one shooting the interview and asking the questions and doing the editing. So it really takes someone that, that is multifaceted and that can do all of those different things. So it's, it's kind of a cool moment to watch as freight starts to embrace it, even though, you know, some of these other industries have embraced it long ago. I think it was, you know, over the last couple of years, we, we've seen more companies uh, take a hold of their own media programs and hopefully more companies Companies will, will do it as well. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I think the most important thing for a company is just to figure out who their audience is, you know, whether they're, they're service based, who are they serving, uh, you know, who, who needs their content, who can they add value to. And once they kind of dial in on that, uh, they could kind of figure out the rest. I think that's the most important thing, like figuring out that avatar, or who your perfect listener is or whatever you want to call it. Just figuring out that, that piece, because that's the most difficult part. And then once you find those people, you know, just creating the perfect content for them. But yeah, I mean, it's a really great question, like in terms of like, who do you want to hire and who do you want to bring onto the team? But that multifaceted kind of, you know, personality who could kind of just jump into everything and who's willing to just, you know, really kind of push, push, push it forward. I think that would be your first hire. And then from there, you kind of branch out and just kind of fill in like, you know, the pieces to where you have like a, a actual, you know, videographer person or, you know, a content creator. And then you kind of start breaking down those little ancillary pieces after that. That's, that's what I would say, at least. Definitely. Uh, full, wholeheartedly agree. Now, now for folks who didn't catch the first time you were on Cyberly, which was about a, a little over a year ago, about a year ago, um, okay. give us a little bit of background on, on you, how you got started with Truck and Hustle, all that good stuff. Yeah, so um, my name is Ramel Watley. Um, I'm an entrepreneur, also podcaster. I've been in transportation for almost 20 years. I started in the industry actually uh, as a CDL driver, but I never really drove. So I, I got my CDL and I soon realized that driving wasn't for me. So um, I was fortunate enough to be blessed with the opportunity to work kind of in operations as a dispatcher um, at a small mom and pop company. From there, I kind of, you know, I ran, I, I ended up running a multi-million dollar Pepsi account there, kind of moved on to kind of make a long story short, progress uh, from working for the mom and pop to working to some of the bigger names, worked for Ryder at one point for a few years, and just kind of moved through my career in really in management behind the scenes. Uh, and then in 2015, I started my own company as a, uh, as a, uh, in staffing. So what we did was we created a uh, staffing company that would uh, create opportunities for CDL class A and class B drivers. So we'd get uh, contracts with midsize to larger carriers. And if they needed drivers, whether seasonally or, you know, they had volume spikes, we'd provide drivers for them. So the drivers actually worked for us, but they would work, um, you know, on these, these part-time to, to long-term uh, job assignments based on the need. So I got started in business that way. And then in 2019, more really as a passion project, I started Truck and Hustle. Being an entrepreneur in the transportation space so long, always loved, you know, transportation and all, always really loved the medium of podcasting. 
Uh, so, so I listen to podcasts, but the podcasts that I listen to are really more so about, you know, just general business. And like, I was really interested in like e-commerce at the time I wanted to like start drop shipping. And I was just like, listen, like trying to learn different, you know, different skills, like online marketing and stuff like that. So there were a lot of podcasts on that type of stuff. And I always wanted to start a, start a podcast, but I didn't really know what I would, you know, start, start a podcast, you know, talking about. So just one day it kind of just clicked to me, Hey man, you've been doing trucking for so long this would probably be the best space for you to start a podcast in. And, uh, you know, I kind of looked around and, and just kind of, you know, saw what was, what was out there because I hadn't really been listening to any trucking podcasts at the time, to be quite honest with you. And I, and I found, I found stuff out there, but it just really wasn't resonating with me as a person. And, and, and it just wasn't really exciting to me. And it wasn't, it, it didn't have the flavor that really interests me. A lot of it was kind of you know, talking like really high level stuff and things that, you know, as a, as a new, as a, even though I had experience in the industry, I wanted to do something that would kind of bring people into the industry and attract people to the industry and, and, and make new people want to listen and learn about the space. So I wanted to create something that was kind of fresh and just different and that people wouldn't, you know, be fearful of listening to and they could understand it. So that was kind of the birth of Truck and Hustle. I started out, you know, just with interviewing friends and entrepreneurs that I knew personally, just from, you know, networking. Uh, actually, my first interview was a guy who I actually worked with in corporate. He was my driver at the time. And I watched his transition from being a company driver to actually, you know, getting his own authority and, and buying a truck and, 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 you know, owning his own company. And he watched my transition as well. Uh, so we kind of both saw each other, you know, kind of come up. So that was actually my first interview. And then we went from there to just like reaching out to people who I didn't know, just like reaching out to strangers who I saw, like, you know, kind of, you know, uh, creating content and everything online. And and, and we just kind of grew from there, man. It just really grew, grew its own legs. People really got interested in it. And, uh, you know, that brings us to where we're at today. Uh, that was in July 2019. So we've been doing a podcast for almost three years now. We've wow. expanded beyond the audio platform. Now we do visual as well. We're on YouTube, uh, uh, Podbeam, all different uh, visual visual platforms and also all audio platforms. And really what Truck and Hustle is about is just, you know, a platform that just gives you inspiration and information as well. I like to say inspires you just from the point, the standpoint of a person's story, you know, how they got to where they're at and, and, in 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 pretty much the trucking industry we we talk about some other things as well outside of the industry but it all really relates like we'll talk about government contracting we'll talk about building business credit we'll kind of cover all bases but it all always relates and comes back to you know the supply chain and kind of trucking and then um also we like to give the information we want to teach you how to you know start this business how you could follow in that person's footsteps and and create you know bla uh, uh trailblaze a path of your own um so to speak so that's really what it was about. And like I said, just people just really gravitated towards, I think there was a, a thirst for information out there. I think there's a lot of people who work in the supply chain somewhere, uh, you know, whether they're pickers, packers, you know, they work in a warehouse somewhere, they drive a forklift, they drive a truck, but they don't have the opportunities or the, uh, or, or the, the access to see a lot of what goes on behind the scenes. So we wanted to create that platform to provide that opportunity and, and give those insights so people could look for, you know, other opportunities opportunities in transportation if they so desired to. Yeah, I mean, you've definitely been been killing the game because over the last, I mean, even when you first started, <laughs> 
your interviews were in person. They were super high quality. You, you, your quality has only increased, especially from the video aspect. And so your, your numbers just continue to grow. So from social media to the podcast, and then also Patreon. So you're building community everywhere you go. I, I do want to know though, how has your, your content evolved since if at all, since the last time we talked, do you have plans for, for how it's going to evolve in the future? Uh, tell me a little bit about where you're focusing your efforts or where you want to focus your efforts. Yeah, so it's definitely evolved. So when we first started for about a year, we did purely audio content. It was just like this, you know, kind of over a Zoom, uh, Zoom type of call. And I just wanted to just do a little bit more because I felt that you know, I, I feel that number one, when you're in person, like the the vibe of the interview just goes in a totally different direction. When you actually sit down, you're face to face with somebody, there's just a whole different feeling and you make and, and that connection is so much stronger. And the information that, you know, comes out of the conversation is just so much more powerful, I feel, just because of that one on one interaction. And then obviously, you know, with just the way uh, these platforms work with YouTube being such a powerful search engine, you know, we, we definitely wanted to get on YouTube because you, you know, people stumble upon content on YouTube. Whereas on the pot in the podcasting space, it's kind of like, if you, if you don't listen to podcasts, it's very difficult for you to find a podcast. If you're not already listening to other podcasts or you're not specifically searching for that podcast in particular. So, you know, it's, it's more difficult to grow. It's more of an uphill battle. You kind of get to a point to where you plateau and 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 then you start seeing like you, you, if we're talking analytics you see your numbers kind of like you know get at it come to a stalemate and then you have like the you, you have the challenge of bringing new people onto a new platform so you have to kind of meet people where they're at and you have to understand that there's all these different platforms people they they consume content where they like to consume their content and they don't usually kind of cross over so, you know, we want to really be everywhere. So in terms of, you know, just visibility and reach, the the next obvious step was for us to really move into YouTube. And honestly, for me personally, when I when I moved into the YouTube space, the first thing I did was I started uploading like a lot of my older content from the podcast, you know, to YouTube. And at first I, I didn't want to do that because I kind of felt it was like pulling like like pulling like the curtain, opening the curtain and people mm -hmm. being able to see like the process behind the audio. Because this was kind of kind of prior to COVID, where everybody was really doing like Zoom calls online. So mm. before that, I kind of felt like oh, I don't really want people to see like, even though, you know, they can use their logic and say, OK, there's some kind of call or something going on here. You know, there, it, there must be something. But I just felt like I just wanted them to hear the audio and I didn't want to see it. Right. But then once mm. COVID happened and then you start seeing all this content you know, online and all these really, really popular podcasts and shows thriving just off of, you know, that kind of content. I'm like, man, I missed the boat. I could have been, you know, <laughs> uploading these same videos to YouTube and and, mm. and and been growing. But I was kind of scared to do that because I didn't feel that people like my audience would want to see that. But when it became the norm, this is this is stuff that I already had, you know, for like a whole year worth of catalog, just, you know, backlog that was just sitting that was just audio. So I said, you know what, I'm going to just start uploading like all this audio content to YouTube. And that's how I originally started growing a page, just really repurposing the audio content on the YouTube. But then in me just wanting to just evolve the brand, I said, you know what, I want to like, you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a creative. I, I want to be creative. I'm not going to feel right if I don't feel like I'm pushing myself. So I said, I want to just do something different and I want to like really 
sit down and create like an aesthetic and 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 go to these places and 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 visit some of these you know office spaces and some of the warehouses and different things and let and wouldn't it be cool if we just like pulled up a chair in the middle of the warehouse and had the interview there? So I start having all these thoughts like based on who my guest is. So you know if if the guest had an aesthetic or they had a situation where we can make make some really cool content with like a a, a nice background and just something different, I said let's do it. So we started trying it, and then once I moved to the video it's like hard to go backwards. It's like, all mm. right, so now with the video, I can't really go back to doing, <laughs> you know, like the, the virtual because I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm regressing now, you know, because it's like we, now the audience is starting to get used to something new. So we still have our podcast listeners, but now we're growing this new audience in the YouTube space. So it's like, all right, they're depending on this, this video content. So now I have to push myself to make sure, you know, we create it and just keep on being innovative. And, you know, we started out just kind of like doing like regular sit down videos. And then like, like I said, kind of pushing the envelope more so like with the, with the scenery and the backgrounds and, and, and just how we create the content. Now we're even evolving it to where we're, you know, doing the drone shots in the beginning of the video and oh, wow. and doing different things to where we're almost making like little mini documentaries in, in a way, like they're almost like, it's like a movie experience. So I, I have a really great team. I'm blessed to, you know, work with great people that are really, you know, uh, uh, passionate about truck and hustle and love it just as much as I do. So they're pushing the envelope just as much as I am. And they're helping me like with these ideas and this content, like, ah, oh, man, you know, it'd be really cool if we did this drone shot from here and then we came down and then we, you know, so they're, they're coming up with all these ideas and I'm like, let's do it. So it just pushes you to keep on being more creative mm. and more creative. And then once you get that feedback, the feedback is like a drug because it's like, you know, once people are starting to love it and you start seeing your numbers are, are, are starting to increase because of it and 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 you, you want to do more. Like, again, you can't right. go backwards. So you just keep on pushing the envelope, keep on pushing the envelope. And, and that's really what it's about now is just really creating like new and fresh content that's not stale. Like, I don't ever want to get like to a point to where I feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over again. I always want there to be like a surprise and just something kind of new that you don't expect every time you turn on the channel. And that's just really what I'm challenging myself with now, just creating new content that's kind of out the box that nobody would really expect. And that's kind of the way you stay ahead of the game, you know, because like they say, when 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 you zig, when when they zig, you zag, you know. And so for anybody who is, um, you know, who, who's paying attention, just when you think you got the formula figured out, we're going to go in a different direction. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Talking with Ramil Watley, creator and host of Truck and Hustle. Now, now speaking of all of the the super high quality interviews that that you do, we're we're gonna actually play a few clips, and then I want you to break down why you picked these clips in order to show us. So let's go ahead, okay. production team, if you guys could play clip number one for us. These are things that people don't see. They look at a construction site, all they see is the building. But in order to run that building, you need restrooms so the guys can build. You need a waste tank that can connect to the module. You need a water tank that can push water through the module so they can have their meetings. They can have all their stuff inside. You need temporary fencing, which we're going to hop into in another at some point this year. Temporary fencing that goes around the site to close it off from the public. You know what I'm saying? Like there's these are everyday simple things that they're there for months. They're residual. And like I say, um, it's almost like you try to monopolize the actual site project and get as many of your products on that actual site. Now tell us okay. why, you, why you chose that one. 
Yeah, so that that was Russell Shepard. That was a, a a podcast that we published maybe two weeks ago or so. Number one, I just love this particular podcast. Uh, you know, another thing that we did was we started branching out, like kind of doing different niches. So we didn't want to just stick to just, you know, trucking, like general freight. We wanted to just kind of touch on other things that are truck related and different businesses mm. that you could start outside of trucking. It could be non-CDL. And this is a perfect example of that, where this this gentleman who's an ex-NFL um, player, he actually retired early. He, he was uh, in his contract year. He was about to get a, a multi-million dollar contract, but he had this business that's called Shep Boys, it's a waste management business where he he uh, he has porta potties all over Houston. Where, where you see us there sitting, we're actually in Houston. So I flew out to Houston, my team and I. Uh, we're at his home office, which is actually a home. So he actually has a house that he purchased. That's his office space, not oh, his wow. actual house. Really, really nice. And I mean, you know, just that, just sitting down with him. I mean, he just opened my eyes up to just the opportunities in this space where he delivers. He has over 400 plus uh, uh, portable restrooms all throughout Houston. If you drive through Houston, you'll see his orange restrooms kind of all over the place in different construction sites. And, you know, what he does, is he, he, he supplies them. He supplies water and other different things, uh, hand washing stations, different things for construction sites. And this is just like a really cool niche that I think people are just don't think about like there's money in right. this stuff there's money in literally like waste and everybody's chasing like you know chasing things that everybody's doing whereas you can you know become a a a a, 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 a you know you you niche down and become a what's the word opposite of generalist is what a, uh, i can't think of it special you're a was right, it? a specialist specialist, a specialist. That's the word. Yeah. <laughs> instead of generalist you'd be a specialist like this guy and I mean, he's killing it. He's in a, he, he has his own, his own pathway that he could just kind of, you know, make his own thing happen. So I just, I, I love the way he was just so really transparent within this interview. Mm-hmm. I like the aesthetic, the fact that we were sitting down, we were really comfortable and it just kind of gives you an idea of just a really comfortable, cool space. You know, just not your typical interviews, not very much that you'll be in somebody's home office, just sitting there relaxing. If you look in the back, we have one of his, uh, his Shep boys, uh, sanit- hand sanit- sanitizing machines in the back. And I just thought it was really cool. And just like what he broke down was really awesome too. Uh, so I just thought it'd be a good clip to play as well. All right. Well, let's look at the next clip and let's play that one. Number Clip number two. So okay. Passive Trucking is uh, a company that allows people to get into the trucking industry and gain passive income, meaning... Um, let's say you wanted to get into the trucking industry, but you didn't want to run a truck. You didn't want to start a trucking company. You didn't want to do any of the day-to-day stuff. You literally just wanted to gain the money from a truck. You would partner with passive trucking. Um, we would manage your truck top to bottom, every single aspect of it. And you get paid out a flat rate every single week for your truck. And, um, every week that the truck's on the road, most of our trucks is you know, four weeks on the road, one week off for the driver. You get paid on that schedule, and um, it's just completely hands-off for you. Got you. So the first question that I would ask is how much? What type of investment do I have to make? So your, your only investment is the truck. You have to just purchase a truck. Yeah, and you, and you got to go through you got to go through your um, your tags. Okay. Right? So you, you get your, your tags. Your, your truck and your tags with yep. my uh, authority, all of that? No, no, no. No authority. You, you run underneath you, our you authority. You run underneath the passive trucking authority. Yep. 
All right, we got just a couple minutes left. I wish I could play this last last clip for you, but most of if you yeah, guys are watching, yeah. just go check out Truck and Hustle because there's <laughs> lots of great content like this. But yeah. but quickly, Ramil, why why did you pick that one? So that one, I just thought it was like a really clean look. I just love it. Like I feel like we're like in the clouds somewhere, like in heaven, just talking. I just really <laughs> love the way that that looked. And again, what he's talking about, just creating the opportunity for others. He has a company called Passive Trucking where you could passively invest in a trucking company without having to, you know, do the day-to-day operation. So I just thought it was a really cool, you know, kind of clip. And I just really like the aesthetic. And again, so that just shows like that's two totally different aesthetics. So we're always doing something kind of different. It's never the same. And it just kind of gives you an idea of like our versatility in terms of our sets and different different type of looks we create. Yeah, because it's definitely, I mean, I... I you guys are creating the best content in in trucking and logistics because you can tell <laughs> and you. what you said earlier with your conversations are so much better in person than virtual there you, you hit the nail on the head because when i go to conferences that conversation just i mean you could talk for an hour and not even realize it but here we are you know in a in a virtual setting and you know i feel like we're we're short on time and i wish i could play <laughs> you know the, the the rest of this interview but according you know we're yeah. it, it's live tv so we're kind of constricted by the time itself, which is the complete opposite of what you you have, because you can let those conversations go as long as possible. You're there, you're in person. A lot of the times you're on site at a lot of these different locations. So I think you guys are just setting the bar for where a lot of these companies should be shooting for. You can start out small, I guess, you know, in, in, in the words of former former guests on here, start small and big. Chris Bright, shout out to him <laughs> for all the moves that he's making. Um, but yeah. I, I guess maybe ju- just one last tip. What would you leave for, for companies who are lo- who, who want to shoot for the moon and maybe get to where you are right now? But maybe where would they where should they start? I would just say, uh, obviously, get started and, and, and be consistent. Uh, you know, create a schedule for yourself. I would say record or whatever type of content you're creating, create a lot of it in in, in the beginning so that you don't get behind. You know, I'm a a strong proponent of like doing batch recording. I create a lot of content at one time because I, I do have other business outside of Truck and Hustle. So set it up, set yourself up to be successful in, in terms of your planning. And just, you know, when you create your content, create a lot of it, have a plan, uh, understand who your who your avatar is or who your target audience is and just you know listen to them you know don't create content outside of what they want if 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 you have an audience make sure that you're listening to their needs and you're adding value to 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 what to what they need and what they're looking for and and you'll grow and and I mean it doesn't always have to be the biggest audience it's not always about the numbers or the metrics as long as you're serving who you want to serve those particular people you're going to get what you want to get out of that content for sure so, and I think you hit it right on the head earlier when you were talking about don't pay attention to those vanity metrics. It's not about that, you know, especially for these, you know, you know, service providers and these businesses, you want to make sure you, 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 you tackle your audience, you, you, you target that audience, you get them, you engage with them. That's, that's more, more important than anything, you know? So like they say, there's a uh, Kevin, I think it's Kevin Kelly or something, a thousand true fans. They should check that out. Like really, really talking about targeting in on your audience and that's, they'll take care of you for life. You don't need to worry about having, you know, masses, a massive amount of people. It's not about that, especially now. You know, these, the micro influencers are where it's at, man. These little micro influencers, it's, it's huge. You know, it's a huge, a huge opportunity for them. 
Absolutely. I couldn't have said it better myself. Ramil, you, you hit the nail on the head. We've got all of where you can find Truck and Hustle linked in the show notes, whether it's YouTube, Instagram, Patreon, the podcast, of course, look up Truck and Hustle because it's a lot of advice, a lot of great experience that, that you're sharing with the world. So appreciate your time. Um, hope to speak to you soon in the future. And keep doing Thank that. Keep you up so all much the great that. work. Thank you so much. I appreciate it as always. Thank you. Thank you. Keep keep on going because, I mean, he really is sharing an incredible amount of information. But as we close out this week's show, we're going to play for you an interview with the Wing Copter co-founder and chief services officer. And I think that's about to roll right now. Welcome into another episode of Cyberly Hits the Road. I'm your host, Blythe Brumleaf, and we are still live at Manifest the Future of Logistics. And we have another cool company to show you. It's Wingcopter. They also have a division here in the US, which is Sprite. You can kind of see a little bit of a demo of, of what we have here. Um, let's go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your company. Yeah, thank you. My name is Ansgar Kadura. I'm one of the founders of Wingcopter, and we are a German drone manufacturer and also operator. And we have partnered in the U.S. with uh, Sprite. It's a subsidiary of Air Methods, uh, one of the or the biggest helicopter emergency medical services provider in the U.S. So um, yeah, that's that's our setup here in the U.S. now. So take me back to when you first decided you want to found a, a, your found a drone company. What what sort of thought process goes into that? Mm -hmm. So um, the core innovation that comes with our with our technology was kind of also a driver to to it was. Yeah, so special at the time, um, back in 2011, our CTO started um, filing the patent for the tilt rotor mechanism, so our drones can vertically take off and then fly fast into forward mode. And that is, um, yeah, that is the, the initial spark. And then our CTO met our CEO, Tom, and um, yeah, they, they immediately saw we have to build a big company. I joined uh, the two of them. And now we are a team of 120 people oh, wow. um, and running the, um, yeah, this, this company. So, so what's personally your, your background? Why the mm -hmm. interest in, in getting into this new sort of a fascinating industry? Mm -hmm. I studied electrical engineering management. And um, yeah, for me, this, uh, this drone is a, um, like a tool to improve supply chains, especially in, uh, in the medical industry. It can really help um, because it's much faster. It can fly up to... Uh, 130 kilometers per hour or even faster 150 um, yeah and that's that's um, something that creates a lot of value for the patients for the people that are receiving the goods that we are shipping so uh, how I guess what does the process look like for mm -hmm. even developing you know so sort of the, the entire mold of the unit the, the technology what goes into that initial sort of R&D research and development of, of saying I, I want to enter in this industry and I want to serve this particular you know pharmaceuticals is, mm -hmm. is your niche correct mm -hmm. um, yeah so medical deliveries uh, any kind of so we are also picking up lab samples and um, so these are these are the these are the most valuable deliveries you can do yeah if, if a human life profits from the drone flying then this is probably one of the most valuable deliveries you can do, and that's where we are focusing on. Um, 
What was the question again? As far as like the, the, the unit itself, as far as uh, maybe like regulations, are there any mm -hmm. kind of regulations I, I imagine that, that you would have mm -hmm. to abide by sort of, you know, different flying levels and, and, and is it a, a product that is in active day use right now or is it coming in the future? Mm -hmm. So the Wingcopter 1 and 8, uh, it's this model here, it was developed specifically to meet the regulations <laughs> globally but also with a strong focus on the US. Um, where we are in the type certification process since two years. So we are certifying this uh, aircraft as a yeah, proper aircraft in the United States. Um, in order to run it, you also need a certified aircraft and a certified operator. And that's why we have partnered with Sprite um, in the U.S. to yeah, build up medical operations. So, so what does the, I guess, sort of the, the, the typical route look like? Is, mm -hmm. is it, do you get assigned a route and then uh, you, you have one of your devices fulfilling that route? Or is it a special circumstance each and every case? Or tell me a little bit about the, mm -hmm. the delivery process itself. Okay, so there are, there are different models, uh, but what you described, uh, the, the, the fixed route point-to-point um, -point delivery is the most, um, yeah, or the, the easiest way to start, and that, that's already solving lots of problems. So um, connecting rural hospitals with kind of district hospitals, uh, that, is, that is the kind of operations that we're doing. And so going back to, I guess, uh, the sort of the, the route delivery of it, so how... It, where is like the actual product being stored? Is it, is it this mm -hmm. part of the, the, the drone itself? Yeah. So we have the payload bot below. Uh, payload pod below. Oh, wow. You can hold it also. It's oh, wow. very lightweight. Yeah, wow, that is surprisingly and, lightweight. Yeah, so it's made of um, glass fiber and uh, the hooks of carbon fiber, so it's very, yeah, very much. Perfect. Yeah, that looks pretty. I mean, it's not heavy at all, maybe a pound. Yeah, it's supposed to fly, so it has yeah. to be lightweight. And so I assume that this part opens up right here. Yep, I, can, I can also show it if you hold, you it. hold it. Yeah, yeah. Like oh. this, so yeah. Oh, cool! It's like uh, up to I thirteen don't know if liters. You guys can see inside of that, but that's essentially what it looks like. That's cool. Yeah. And yeah. So so um, so say you're a a big time hospital in a bigger city, and a rural hospital needs a delivery and they need it quick. So what does sort of that process look like? Is is there? somebody within the hospital that's operating the drone or do they contact you as sort of a third party? Mm -hmm. What does sort of that process look like? So um, in order to run drone deliveries, you need to have a professional operator. Yeah, so it's um, it's kind of an airline. Yeah, you need a kind of airline setup to, to comply with the regulations. Um, so it's unlikely that the hospital will run such drone service themselves. And um, in our setup, we are we are running it. And in the US, we have partnered with Sprite to, to build up extensive uh, drone delivery networks. And um, yeah, they, are, they, they will be the um, operators. So here. They, would be the, they would be almost like the third party, I guess, um, pilots that would operate yeah, yeah. The, the machinery. What about as far as um, like cold medications or, or medications mm -hmm. that have to, to stay at a certain temperature? Are you able to fulfill those, those type of shipments too, or is it really just um, mm -hmm. just off the shelf? Medications? So this this is where the where the specific uh, or where the magic happens. You can say yeah, really you have to adapt it to the to the specific needs, mm -hmm. and that's something also that we're working on together with with our um, with our partner to make it happen and to, to understand better what is the market requirements um, and fulfill that with the technology. So as you saw, the, the payload bay is modular, so we can adapt it um, and cold chain is definitely one of the 
key areas that we need to serve. So it sounds like this entire unit is the one that will primarily be used and then this unit can be customized for the shipment demands. Yep. You can see it also here on the, um, on the uh, poster. We also have uh, um, different payload mechanisms below. So this one is now the fixed box for two-way deliveries. And um, we also have the triple drop mechanism where we can um, yeah, deliver up to three packages to different locations. And the drone can um, kind of lower them on a winch um, while hovering. Oh, wow. And this is, yeah, this is the... That's pretty cool. So, okay, so are, are you making active flights now or is it sometime in the, you know, do you, do you have a timeline for, for making those flights mm. more, more? Or so more often? the answer is yes. <laughs> we are we are operational in um, as Wingcopter ourselves. We are operational already in Malawi and different parts around the world. We have been flying in more than 12 countries around the world. Um, with Sprite, we have launched now in the U.S. first pilot projects, and there's a lot of come. That's awesome. Well, well yeah. thank you so much for your time. Where can folks follow more of your work in Wingcopter? Thank you. <laughs> well, well, for, yeah. Where can folks follow more and more of your work? Is it on your website, maybe social media? Oh, yeah. um, well, any kind of, uh, I, I guess, social media platforms that, that you guys are on? Mm -hmm. So we have um, our LinkedIn account, um, Instagram, and also um, YouTube. I think most of the videos you can find on YouTube, it's um, yeah, exciting to, to watch and understand well, also what, what impact the drones can have. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Hope you guys enjoyed it.